Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Good evening, Coach Roberts. Hello, Larry, Larry, Larry. Reminds me of Veggie Tales. Larry, 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 Larry. It's been a long time since we've seen that show. Maybe not so long for me. Yeah. Ellie and I watch it just a little bit from time to time when she's resting in the afternoon and eating her afternoon snack. She enjoys watching TV when she can. Yes, which is very limited, but that's probably why she enjoys it. I think she was enjoying watching the Vuelta a España the other day when I was watching it. You think so? She seemed enthralled. I think she just likes screen time. Could be. But didn't she also get on her tricycle this week? <laughs> she did. And it makes me think she's ready for one of those little bikes without pedals. Because on her tricycle, she was just walking with the tricycle seat between her legs. And so I was afraid those back wheels were going to hit her ankles. A triathlete in the making. She's got the run down. She was so snuggly yesterday. She just kept coming up and wanting to grab my cheeks and give me a kiss. So I turned my video on in selfie screen mode so I could capture this on video. And I was like, give me a kiss. And you know what she did? No. She leaned in and kissed herself on the phone screen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that probably made a really cute video if you can tell what it is. Well, the video wasn't running yet, but I did snap a photo. So, yes, it was very cute. Never a dull moment. No, never. So this morning, I got about 17 miles under my feet on a nice, easy run. I ran about nine miles and then met at Legends, a local sporting goods store. The Wendell Foster half race director is coordinating training runs every Saturday at 7.30 a.m. So if you're local in Owensboro, whether you're running Wendell Foster half or not, you should come out and enjoy it. And they have door prizes. Yeah. I really enjoyed it today. I was at the library a couple weeks ago and ran into a girl that I don't know very well, but her sister happens to be married to Chad, my nephew. And she mentioned that she was running the Wendell Foster half. So we started talking about these training runs. And I'm pacing the, I think I'm doing the 205 pace group. So I was just asking her a little bit about what her goal pace was and different things. And so today I went just to help out and support the local race, Great Cause. And she was there. So she ran six miles and did great. Toward the end, she was getting a little bit tired. So we just talked about some strategies and things to get her mind off of the difficulties of it and focus on the great parts of it. So I think it was a good day. So she got my number from Chad and we've already been texting back and forth. So a new member of the squad. Yeah, I think she's gonna enjoy training for the Wendell Foster half. Very nice. So me and Jacob were there as well. Yeah, about that. (laughs) Jacob said, 
previously that he was going to take it easy this Saturday, which is today, at this particular group run because the last time he and I went, we ended up being in the lead group. It was somewhat quick, and so he wanted to take it easy today. Well, he ended up in the lead group, and you and I took it somewhat easy, even though we didn't run together. So on the way over, you and him and myself, we met at Jacob's house, and it's just a couple-minute run over to Legends. And on the way over, I'm like, oh, Jacob, I know you text me the route, but I haven't had a chance to look at it. He said, oh, Mom, you don't need to look at the route. I'm going to run with you today. Well, I should have studied the route. He changed his mind. Evidently. Sometimes we've noticed athletes, they come up with a plan, and they get on the starting line, and the plan goes out the window. The enthusiasm, the excitement, the adrenaline just gets the best of them, and they just take off. We highly discourage that. Stick to the plan. We have a young athlete who is running cross-country, and by the way, she did outstanding today. Amazing. Yeah, so we've really been kind of talking with her and coaching her about not going, what's her dad call it, full boogie? Don't go full boogie at the start. At the starting line. I don't know where that comes from. There are no trophies awarded for who wins the first 200 meters of a 3K race. But man, some of those girls just want to win that first 300 meters. But I feel like she, she still got out just a little quicker than we're wanting her to. But she was much stronger through the middle. And of course, she has that finishing kick. She's got some quick old legs. So Go, go gadget. We won't mention her name since she's a minor, but if you're listening, you know who you are. We're proud of you. So it reminds me of when I was in cross country back in high school, just a few years ago. There was a particular course in Somerset, Kentucky, and the course narrowed quite rapidly to a path through the woods. So in that particular race, you did have to go fast at the start. Or otherwise get trapped trapped on this somewhat narrow trail. So that was a particular race where you needed to know the course and have a strategy, run different than you normally would, but anyway, it worked well. Our coach had us prepared back in high school. Speaking of knowing the course, and I did not know the course this morning for the six miles I was helping with, thankfully, one of our most Faithful listeners, Jessica, was running with our group, and she knew the course, so it was all good. All good. Yeah, all good. And Bethany ran with us this morning before the group run. She ran the first hour and a half with us, so she's doing great. I think she is going to not race Wendell Foster. I think she plans to help me with the 205 pace group. She's been putting in some really good times lately. She has. Her, uh... Her pickups, her short VO2 max pickups this week, she's fast. Super fast. (laughs) Speaking of super fast, I don't think we've talked about the results of the Collins Cup. Have we talked about that? We have not. We've talked about the Collins Cup several times and how it was just an unusual triathlon event, but I think it maybe is going to spark some more interest in triathlon, which I think is the goal. But let's talk about the results. Yeah, won't spend too much time on it, but there were some interesting parts of it. And it was great that the PTO was streaming the entire event live on the Collins Cup website. Didn't have to pay to watch it, which was awesome. 
but it was Team Europe versus Team US versus the Team Internationals. Which Team Internationals, was that three countries? Canada, Australia, and... New Zealand and South Africa. Okay. I I think it could have been other countries, but those were just the ones that were in the top of the PTO rankings plus the captain's selections. So the, the first race of the day was quite the shock. Everyone expected Daniela Reef to win because she's been dominating women's long, longer distance triathlon. But Taylor Nibb from the U.S., fresh off the Olympics, just put on an, a show. Yeah, and she won by enough time to get bonus points, right? Yes, she did. Yeah, she won by 16 minutes. I think the maximum points were if you won by six minutes. So. Because I think if it was just first, second, third, and people were close, it was three points, two points, one point. Yes. And then if there were convincing leads, you were awarded additional points. Yeah, some half points and full points and points and a half. Which made the strategy for picking which athlete went head-to-head with other athletes even more important with the bonus times. Yeah, yeah. So one unique thing about Taylor Nibb is she's normally an ITU triathlete, which allows drafting. So she's accustomed to racing triathlon on a road bike, and so that's what she did. Everybody else was on their TT bike, and she showed that you can do a strong bike leg solo in the triathlon on a road bike. And she was leaned over on her handlebars in somewhat of an aero position. Uh, So another race that was really exciting, especially the swim, was uh, between Holly Lawrence and Ellie Salthouse. Commentators were saying there was some history between these two competitors. I guess they had gotten crossways at some point, but there was was nothing friendly about the swim. They were shoulder-to-shoulder bumping each other. The whole swim. You would think one of them would ease off and draft off the other, but no, it was furious. But then Holly Lawrence had an accident on the road in the rain, so it ended up not being a close competition after that. And then the the battle between Jan Ferdino and Sam well, Apple. Before you move oh. on to the boys. All right. That's what you're doing, right? I was. I feel like... The women held their own. The U.S. women held their own against the field. And then the men just dropped the ball. The men did not represent as well as we would have liked. Yeah, because I think we were either ahead of or almost tied with the European team prior to the men starting. Yeah. So, go U.S. women! Woo woo! All right, so moving on to the men. All righty. Jan. Jan Ferdino. World record holder, three-time Ironman world champion, uh, former gold medalist, uh, up against Sam Appleton of the Internationals and Sam Long, yo, 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 of the United States. And I was really looking forward to this race. I'm sorry. Yo, yo, yo. That's Sam Long's thing. He even has t-shirts printed up that say yo, yo, yo. He's got a following. Does he yo-yo? I don't know. He's quite vocal on YouTube, though. Because you know my dad was a championship yo-yoer, right? Yes. Gotta give a shout out to my dad when I can. He was good at a lot of things. Speaking of which, I don't even think I told you this, but my brother sent me a 
picture of a picture of my dad and said that his oldest granddaughter, Alex, was in class at the local high school and saw a picture of her great-grandfather, my dad, hanging on this teacher's wall. And so she went up to him and said, hey, do you know my great-grandfather? I'm impressed that she would recognize it. Was this a picture of him as a youth or as an adult? No, it was a more recent. Okay. Yeah. So she would recognize. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely would recognize him. She would recognize her great-grandfather. Anyway, (laughs) she went out and asked, why is my great-grandfather's picture on your wall thinking this man would have a connection? And he said, I just found it in the hallway a few years ago, and I just hung it on the wall because I thought one of my students must have lost it, and I didn't want to throw away their picture, so I just hung him up on the wall until somebody recognized and claimed him. So did he give the yeah. picture to Alex? So Alex claimed the picture and brought it home. So I wonder how it ended up at the school. And <laughs> what's, what school are we talking about? Davis County. Middle school. High school. She's a high schooler. She's a high schooler. She is. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's hard to believe. Yes, it is. Are you sure? I, I can't believe that. <laughs> All right, we were going to talk about the men Sorry. in the Collins Cup. I'm not even sure what got... Oh, yo, yo, yo. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so I was a little disappointed that Sam Long did not give Jan Fredino much competition. Uh, Jan just was much a much stronger swimmer and you know equal on the bike, and Sam just really couldn't keep... Uh, the, other guy couldn't make that, up. the other guy in that race, who was that? Sam Appleton. Yeah, I feel like he swam well. Yeah. But then Mr. Long was quite a distance back on the swim, which he acknowledges he has work to do in the swim, and he is addressing it. Yeah, and he's young. Uh, Jan Ferdino has been competing for years. He's 40 years old now. And Sam is probably in his late 20s. Yeah, so even a professional athlete, Sam Long, has to take his swim games slowly as they come, which we talked about last podcast. Yeah, there, there's always room for improvement. So another race that was interesting was Lionel Sanders versus Sebastian Keenley and Andrew Starkowitz. Starkey, I, I like that athlete. Yeah. 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 From the U.S. Yep. I was surprised that Sebastian Keenley was on the European team, but he was one of the captain's picks because he just really hasn't been prominent in triathlon for a while. He's still a big name in triathlon, though. I think they just yeah. wanted a draw. But he he did great. Um, Lionel Sanders ended up winning his match, which, again, there was some strategery there that they didn't... <laughs> you do know that's not a real word, right? I do. I just like it. Okay. The international team had an opportunity to put Lionel in the same match as Jan Ferdino and Sam Long, which would have been pretty cool... But by putting Lionel Sanders in a different match, there was a greater possibility that Lionel was going to win, and he did. But I was impressed that Sebastian Keenley came in second, only a minute back. Now, Lionel did lay his bike down in a curve, <laughs> got back up without hardly missing a beat. and uh, It was a soft crash. It must have been. All right, were there any other races that you wanted to talk about? Not really. My favorite was the very first one. Yeah, that was impressive. I agree. But just the format was awesome. The coverage was awesome. There were a few mistakes by the production crew putting up 
the wrong statistics on the screen, saying the wrong person was in the lead, but they'll get the kinks worked out for next year. But but the format being very similar to golf's Ryder Cup it is just really cool. And I'm hoping that this will this will grow and professional triathlon will become more popular and as a result more people will get involved in triathlon. There'll be more events. Just grow the sport because it's a great sport. It is a great sport. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we jump into the podcast topic that I've selected today? That depends. What? What podcast topic did you select today? I wanted to talk about cycling drills. Okay. Well, let's jump into that. All right. So we've talked about things you could do to improve your swimming in the past. And on a number of podcasts, we've talked about running. We've talked about VO2 max. Lactate threshold. Yes. (laughs) Aerobic endurance. And we've talked about different strategies for getting faster. But I don't think we've spent much time on the bike. I mean, we've spent a lot of time on the bike. I think we haven't spent a lot of time talking about the bike on the podcast. That's right. And (laughs) in triathlon, you're going to spend most of your time on the bike in training and in competition. So let's spend a podcast on cycling. Let's spend the first of probably many podcasts on cycling. Yeah. So if you're new to cycling, obviously you want a bike that fits you, but it's just so important that you get a bike fit. You want to make sure that the bike you have is the right size and that you get it adjusted to meet your anatomy, your flexibility, and what you're hoping to achieve. So good idea to start with a bike fit. And I'm thinking about getting a another bike fit myself. Have I told you that? You just did. Yeah. Right here on the air. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah, it's been a number of years since I've had a bike fit. Well, let me tell you about your bike fit. I use your bike. I'm assuming that's the bike you're wanting to get fit. Yes. I used your bike for my last Ironman, which was after your last Ironman. And I took your bike to Breckley and got a bike fit. Who's, so a, who's a friend of ours? You definitely need to get another bike fit because right now your bike is not fit to you. I had marked my bike before your bike fit. And so I adjusted things as close as I could back to the way they were. Oh, so you're just wanting to, you know, go get a bike fit. Well, it's been a few years and I've aged. My flexibility, my strength may be a little bit different. Mm. And I, I want to ride healthy. Are you going back to the wind tunnel? I am not going back to the wind tunnel. Oh, okay. That was a cool experience, though. <laughs> That's where you got your most recent bike fit, right? At the wind tunnel. I've had several throughout the years. I don't know if that was the last one. I don't think it was. Maybe. All right. So you got your bike fit. You're good to go. That's going to be the best thing you can do to avoid getting injured on the bike is to get your bike fit properly. And then the best training for riding a bike is riding the bike. Just ride as much as you can, whether it's you know easy miles or some hard ones. Just spend as much time on the bike as you can, whether it's outside or inside. But bike-specific strength is going to be built on the bike. Yeah, and obviously you're going to race outside, so the more you can ride outside, the better. It's just most of us live in areas where as the seasons change, it's 
dark in the mornings and dark when we get off work and there's just no daylight to ride the bike. So you can ride it at night. You just have to be careful because you don't want to hit a deer or, you know, other hazards. And we've talked about it before. Find roads that are less traveled and roads that, or find roads that are less traveled by automobiles and used a lot by cyclists so that the cars that are out on the road are accustomed to seeing cyclists. Yeah. I know uh, in Nashville they have that parkway that's almost specifically for bike riders. So if you live in an area like that, it's pretty cool. Natchez? Mm-hmm. Is that, did I say that right? I think so. Natchez. So you mentioned running into a deer, and we've talked about that on the podcast before, that how is it that you and I, riding our bikes together, we hit the same deer? Anyway, I'm not going to go back there, but I was talking to a friend of mine, and this story about hitting the deer came up, and he is actually, he rides his bike a lot more than we do. That's really the only thing he does for exercise, as far as I know. But he has had two encounters with deer. Has hit a deer twice? Kind of. He was stopped at a road crossing waiting for a car to come by, not far from our house. And a deer comes running down the road and like makes a curve right around him and bumps him. So it just deer, keeps on going. So a deer hit him. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> While he was standing still. Yeah, no injury at all. And then another time he was riding his bike and a deer came out of the field onto the road and was running beside of him, leaning against him, trying to push him off the road. But he held on. The deer went away and no worse for the wear. That's just weird. That's like lightning striking twice. (laughs) Yeah. So before we move on from riding as much as you can inside or outside, I would also say ride in the arrow position as much as you can. It's easy when you're riding inside to get lazy and just sit up and watch Netflix or something, but... I notice you have rearranged your man cave to where the TV is down to where you're going to see it better if you're in Arrow. I really like it. The TV is really low (laughs) and, you know, I'm just very comfortable laying down in the Arrow position, watching whatever cycling, running, triathlon event we have available to stream. It's good times. Yep. So practice that arrow position. And when you get a bike fit, make sure you're getting a bike fit by someone who is familiar with triathlon racing and arrow position because it's completely different than road bike. Yeah. We haven't published many blog articles recently, but we did do a blog article on what you should look for in a bike fit a number of months ago. If if that's something you're thinking about doing, you might want to look out on our website. RYRendurance Yes. So let's talk about proper pedaling form. Most of us learned to ride a bike as a little child, and we didn't really think a whole lot about how we were pedaling. And it may be that we really just focus on pedaling down to get our forward motion going. But which you're when you're learning to ride a bike and for the majority of bike riders your feet aren't attached to the pedal so the only way you're going to get momentum is the mashing of the pedals yeah exactly but with your feet in your 
cycling shoes clipped onto your pedals, you want to be using the entire circular motion to help you with your forward momentum. Now you may not put a whole lot of effort when you're raising your leg in the what you might say is the recovery phase of the pedaling stroke, but just a little bit of work by the hamstring is going to take just a little bit off the other leg that's pushing down. But the main thing is think about the whole stroke. Think about making a circle. Yeah, I rather like than to think going about up and down. If you start at 12 o'clock, I like to think of the push down to about 4.30 and then the scrape, like driving that heel backwards. So it's like push, scrape, and then pull upward. So push, scrape, pull, push, scrape, pull. And you know how I figured out that I really did transition into a full pedal stroke? No. Ride a bike without being clipped in. It's like, oh, wait, I can't <laughs> I can't do this. My feet are coming off the pedals. Yeah, that makes sense. So, but when we first started riding inside, we used an old trainer and an old program called Trainer Road. And they had one leg drills where I would just take one leg and set it up on my frame to get it out of the way. And then I would have to use just one foot to keep that pedal stroke smooth and you could tell if you weren't because you hear all this like slack mm-hmm. in your stroke yeah and that was going to be the first drill we were going to cover oh you're right on track well cover it by all means well, well you've already done it but <laughs> yeah single leg drills is a great way to practice on your form and you may want to do you know just a, a minute at a time and probably best to do indoors rather than outdoors you want to be extremely cautious when you're outside but like you're saying just get that opposite leg out of the way typically uh, put it behind somehow and just really focus on pushing power through the full pedal stroke one leg at a time Uh, there was one other thing i was going to talk about before we got into single leg drill and that's your left right balance so if you have a power meter then which you may have that on your trainer or you may have it built into your bike one way or the other, or you may not have it at all. But if you do, just observing what your left-right balance is is a good way to identify if there's something you need to work on. So you want to be pushing an equal amount of power with your left leg as your right leg, because if you're skewed, then you're missing some opportunities there. And the single leg drills, can help you with that. So another drill you can work on is low cadence drills. Mm-hmm. And by low cadence, we're talking about somewhere around 60 RPM. Most people, when they're cycling normally, will be somewhere between 85 and 95 RPM. But slowing down the cadence, again, really makes you think about the full pedal stroke. Right, and I want to add to this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I like to refer to this as big gear work because you're slowing down your cadence because you have to. Like, you're still pushing power, but because you're in a big gear, you're not just taking an easy ride and pedaling slower. Right. So I, so I understand what you're saying, but I like to refer to it as big gear work, which is low cadence work. Yeah, and if you were in a race and you were pushing a big gear, you wouldn't want to push such a big gear that your cadence dropped 
down to 60. <laughs> but when you're training, you're working on technique, you're working on strength, this is a good way to do that. And again, you would do short repeats. I wouldn't recommend doing this for long periods of time. And speaking of that, when we were watching the Collins Cup, and I can't even remember which two females it was, you may remember, but the in this whatever flight this was, the lead cyclist wasn't very much ahead of the second place cyclist. So you could see both. And the lead cyclist had crank arms that were substantially longer than the cyclist behind her. And I mean, you could just see the difference in the circumference of the circle. Now the lead biker's cadence was also slower and I'm sure it was a result, but you also, that's something you want to talk with your bike fit person about is the ideal crank arm length because that's physics. Those are levers and a longer lever is going to give you a bigger mechanical advantage, but you can get one that's too long and is getting you way out of your ideal form. I think it's something that's drastically overlooked by a lot of people. Yeah, most people would just keep whatever came with the bike. Right. I personally, and that's what I liked about your tri-bike over my road bike, is the length of your crank arms. I just felt like way more bang for my buck out of those crank arms. You rode it well. The bike was a little bit too big for me, but the bike fitter did a great job scaling it to where I was very comfortable in it. Yeah. So another type of drill you could do is high cadence drills. And again, the typical cadence is 85 to 95, but maybe you push you know, well above 100, maybe as high as 120. That, those legs are really moving. And again, you're going to do short repeats, but... This is just another way to challenge your legs to meet the the demands of cycling. Never going to do those high reps in a race, but it's a good way to build up strength and and technique. Yeah, I do really lower my gear and increase my cadence when I'm approaching transition from bike to run. I just want to, I don't know, I feel like I need to shake out the legs a little bit before the run. Yes, yeah, I agree. That's something that's very important. It doesn't matter how good your bike is if you can't run. So taking a few moments at the end of the bike to get your legs ready is a good idea. Yeah, and we've definitely talked about that ad nauseum in a previous podcast is the run. The whole day is to set yourself up for your best possible run. Ad nauseum. What language is that? I have no idea. I just made it up, I think. Probably Latin. <laughs> is that a real thing? I don't know. Okay. You knew what I meant though, right? I did. I've heard that before. So another type of drill you could do is hill repeats. We talk about hill repeats sometimes in running, but you can also do the same thing on the bike. And the longer the hill, the better. Where we are at, the hills just aren't that long. But if you are fortunate enough to have some really long climbs that are safe, that's a great way to practice and build up strength. It also helps you build up confidence for being able to handle hills on race day. And when you're in a race, when you're in a triathlon race, we're not talking about cycling races. When you're in a triathlon race, you want to be moderate on the hills because again, you're trying to get the best bang for your buck on your cycling so that you can have a strong run. So you want to be careful not to spike the heart rate 
or push the power too high going up the hills. And so this is something else you can practice when you're doing your hill repeats is going up the hills at a comfortable pace rather than feeling like you have to attack every hill. Yeah, there are definitely two different types of hill repeat workouts we would assign. One would be a VO2 max workout where we're wanting athletes to get after it in a relatively short hill, maybe a minute or two. Race to the top. Yes, and then recover and do it again. But then the other thing is on a decently long ride, we want them to incorporate hills where they manage their power and there's not a big difference between their normalized power and their average power. Yeah. So another type of drill would be practicing riding downhill. Now that might sound like it's easy to do, but it can be frightening. Yeah, athletes who did not grow up on a bike, and we talked about earlier, like I was a huge tomboy and just grew up riding bikes and mostly on one wheel because I like to do silly things on bicycles but a lot of athletes just simply aren't comfortable on the bike and so the speeds that you can obtain going downhill can be pretty scary yes it can be so when i was training for ironman louisville i don't know which time it 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 doesn't matter but we were fortunate enough to be just a couple hours away so i could drive there early on a saturday morning i could ride the course but on one saturday i went there with a plan, my plan to overcome my timidity on this one particular long, curvy downhill. On the out and back? On the out and back, yes. So they got rid of that section the year I raced in 2017? For good reason. (laughs) I heard. Well, so it's an out and back, and there's this long downhill to a, a very short valley in a curve on a bridge and you immediately go into another long uphill so after people turn around at the u-turn they're flying down now you've got people flying in both directions at this bridge on a curve Mm -hmm. So, so anyway i went and my whole focus after riding 20 something miles to get to the out and back was i went down and up and down and up this hill just getting a little bit more confidence every time. And by the end, I was flying down that hill. And on race day, I went into it with a lot of confidence and just let it rip. The section of the loop at Ironman Louisville in LaGrange, where you, when you're going out, you turn right to head toward the high school. Yes. I loved that section. You can just, I mean, it has decent hills, but not frightening hills and you can fly through that section that was my favorite part of the course too i know we've never talked about this but i know my plan was to stay with my friend kelly the whole time on the bike and on that section and we had talked about it before i was just gonna have fun on that section and then we would regroup once we made the left onto the road that led in to lagrange but both laps in that section i mean I flew. It was fun. And then I just... I would have liked to have had that on video. Yeah. And then I just relaxed down that back stretch until Kelly eventually was, Paula, I'm here. (laughs) And then we'd go on. Yeah. And you all kept an appropriate distance. We did. But it was good that you all could share that experience together. Yeah. And I mostly stayed behind her because I knew she felt a little 
less comfortable on the bike. So I just wanted to keep her in my sights. And I would go around her just occasionally so she'd know I was still there. And then I'd slow down, let her come back around me. So it was a good day. And actually, I'm the one that had bike mechanicals twice. Her bike functioned perfectly the whole day. So we digress. Yeah. And so continuing on was going downhill. Mm Mm-hmm. It's important to practice staying in your aero position on the downhills, not using the brakes unless you're going around a curve at high speed. You may need to apply some brakes. Maybe if there's a tailwind and you're going around a 90 degree turn and there's a cornfield and a ditch in front of you. That's a good time to use the brakes early. (laughs) And did you do that? I did not use the brakes early enough. (laughs) Ended up in a cornfield. I had the choice. Road rash or cornfield, and in a fraction of a second, well, I thought I was going in the ditch. I didn't know I was going in the cornfield. I decided I was taking the ditch rather than the pavement. (laughs) Well, the ditch didn't want me and threw me over the ditch into the cornfield on my back. And the bike flew over my head and landed in the cornfield. But hey, in that accident, I was able to walk away and ride the bike away. I had a sore back. And my bike did need some adjusting afterwards. The bike can be a dangerous thing, but man, it's really fun when you can keep it on two wheels. <laughs> it's fun on one wheel, too. Yeah. If you're trying to be on one wheel. Like Peter Sagan. Yeah, just like that. Yeah. One-handed wheelie on a road bike mm-hmm. going up a hill. Where were we? Um, Turning down a hill. So another thing you may want to practice on in cycling is making U-turns, because sometimes that's going to be part of your event. Let me tell you about a U-turn. If you're group riding, and you need, or just two of you riding, and you need to make a U-turn, follow the path of the cyclist in front of you, rather than, oh, they're turning, and so you cut it short and turn, or they may or may not turn right into you. It seems like you're familiar with that situation. Yeah. Would you like to elaborate? I'm going to decline to elaborate on that. <laughs> I think it's self-explanatory. <laughs> yeah. Follow the leader. Follow the leader. If you're making a U-turn. But <laughs> it takes some practice to get comfortable making a U-turn on a narrow country road. I would suggest clipping out unless you... One leg. Yes. One leg. Your inside, inside leg. <laughs> For safety precautions in case you turn and somebody's in your path. (laughs) Yeah. So since we're on the topic of turning, when I was preparing for Ironman Texas, this was in the spring of 2016, and there was flooding in the woodlands. So they were scrambling to come up with a new course. And they did come up with a new course. And this course had over 90 turns in it. It was nothing but turns. And... I was down there a week early, acclimating to the weather, and was able to drive the course. was very familiar with it before race day, but on some of my practice rides, all I did was focusing on efficiently making turns, trying to time the angle just right to keep the power as high as possible, to keep the speed as, as high as possible. So that's something else you could work on when you're cycling. Another thing you could work on is fueling, whether that's drinking or eating. It's not natural, especially if you're in the aero position, to try to consume 
food and drink. So it's something else you could practice because you want to make sure that you are sticking to your hydration and fueling plan if you want to be able to run later. The next thing you can practice is what are you going to do if you have to go to the bathroom? Hold it. Well, I, I watch a lot of pro cycling on television, and what those guys do is they just pull over to the side of the road, turn away from the camera, stand there for, I'm talking about the guys, I'm not sure about the girls because I don't watch them much on TV, but they uh, take care of business, hop back on the bike and catch up to the peloton like nothing ever happened. But you don't see triathletes doing that. So if you are really focused on time or placing in a triathlon, long distance triathlon, you're probably going to have to go to the bathroom at some point on the bike. And it's not a natural thing to accomplish when you are pedaling. Yeah, and I will say, if you do not want to relieve yourself on the bike, there are plenty of porta-potties and places you can pull over if you're an age grouper and you're not trying to Kona qualify. You should certainly do that. There's no time for a porta-potty. <laughs> I can remember my first half Ironman in Augusta, which for some reason swimming just makes me have to go to the restroom. Like, I don't know why. But I think all that pool water or lake water just absorbs into my skin and straight to my bladder. But within the first mile, I'd even gone to the bathroom in T1. Within the first mile on the bike, I had to go to the bathroom. And I held it the entire bike ride, 56 miles. It was miserable. I can only imagine. So did you go to the bathroom in T2? I did. Oh, okay. Yes, I did. <laughs> Your bladder is stronger than mine. Well, you said, as you said, there was no time for stopping. There's no time for porta-potties. I did see several porta-potties, but there was always a line. I'm like, I'm not waiting in line. So if you are thinking about not stopping at porta-potties in your next triathlon event, I would encourage you to practice and what I have found is the best time to relieve yourself is when you are coasting down a hill. Here's a pro tip. What's that? If you are working T2 and you are a bike catcher, yes. wear gloves. Wear gloves. You don't know <laughs> what is on that saddle. I can remember we had a friend who had trained for Ironman Maryland and it had gotten canceled because that was the year a big hurricane came through Maryland. So he decided to do his own local, just do an Ironman distance by himself here in our hometown. And I remember you, after he got off his bike, pushing it by the seat with your bare hand to his vehicle. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, I needed some hand sanitizer. Yeah, so we digressed. But I was glad to be there to help him out. Yeah. Well, let's talk about cycling in terms of T1 and T2. Okay. So you were talking about pushing the bike. Well, when you get out of the water, you go to your bike, you get your helmet on, you start pushing your bike. You can push it by holding onto the handlebars, or you can push it by holding onto the saddle. But it takes a little practice to get good at pushing your bike from the saddle. But if you figure it out, if you get comfortable with it, you can run a little bit faster. Yeah, and I could do that with your triathlon bike. With my road bike that just has aero bars attached to the regular drops, it, it doesn't work very well. I have to use the handlebars on my bike. <laughs> oh, yeah. And once you get to the mount line, 
especially for a, a long distance event, you know, you and I, and we would recommend for our athletes as well, stop, throw your leg over, push, and start pedaling. You don't need to do a running, flying mount if you're in a long distance triathlon. Those few seconds probably aren't going to make a whole lot of difference. But you're, if you're in an ITU event and drafting is allowed, or if you're in a sprint, you may want to maximize every possible second. I'm just going to say in all the Ironman events I spectated, it was quite entertaining to hang out at bike mounting because there are some age groupers who have no business trying to flying mount, taking out several, not only themselves, <laughs> but several other cyclists. Yeah. So yeah, get on the bike safely. Yeah, so you can practice how you're going to mount in some short grass. So if you are unsuccessful, you just get a little bit dirty rather than scraped up. But So on our next podcast, we're going to do the details of how to do a flying mount in an Ironman knot. You want to save that for the next podcast? <laughs> I'm going to probably save it for never. Oh, I was getting ready to cover that. Oh, well, by all means, go ahead. We don't want, if, if you're one of our athletes listening to this, we do not want you doing a flying mount in your race this weekend. All right. I'm just not going to go there. I agree. Let's don't go there. All right. But if that's something you're interested in, I'd be glad to work with you individually. On yeah. <laughs> and then let's talk about the dismount. So we've already talked about increasing your cadence a little bit before you get off the bike. So you could come up to the dismount line. Don't cross it. Come to a complete stop, hop off your bike, and start pushing it. Or... If you've clipped out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or taking your feet out of your shoes. Yes. But the other option is, as you're approaching the dismount line, is to take both feet out of the shoes, which is encouraged in the last half mile or so, and then throw one leg over to the same side as the other leg, and balance yourself as you're approaching and then hop off with the leg that's not on the pedal and start running. Again, that's tricky and if you're really that worried about seconds, it's a good thing to practice, but in a full distance event, a few seconds probably don't make a whole lot of yeah. difference. Safety, Be careful. Safety first. Safety Be careful. first. And then the last thing I was wanted to talk about is strength training related to cycling. And some of the best things you can do are you know, different types of squats because they work the glutes, the quads, the hips, and high reps, low to moderate weight as you become more used to doing squats. Uh, don't feel like you have to try to break any records for doing one to five reps. Focus on higher reps, like as many as 20 or 30. And some of the types of squats that are good options would be the, the goblet squat and the cyclist squat. And you can find those on YouTube if you want an explanation of what those look like. And then just building core strength. It's good for everything, but it's certainly good for building cycling strength as well. Anything else you want to talk about related to cycling drills? If so, I think we will you will save it for a future podcast because... I think we've got a lot going on in this one. We do. It's been fun. Yes, it has. Well, let's wrap this up with a scripture then. Sounds good. 
from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Philippians is such a great book. Yes, it is. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.